Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. My guest on this episode is Evan Strode. He's a bartender, the Australian Diageo World Class Bartender of the Year for 2021, a brand owner in Ruby Mistel and bar consultant, and he's not yet 30 years old. I first interviewed Evan in 2017 when he was at Shady Pine Saloon in Sydney, and he since went on to a trio of Australia's best bars, the Baxter Inn, Bullet in Place, where he was the general manager, and now Re, Matt Wiley's innovative zero-waste bar in Sydney. We talk about how he has used cocktail competitions like World Class to further his career, whether these comps are indeed necessary to build a career. We dive into how Evan and his business partner, Tim Phillips-Johansson, took a house-made ingredient, Bullet in Place, and commercialized it for a wider audience, and a whole lot more. Here's my chat with Evan Strove. Welcome, Evan Strove. Thanks for joining me. Mate, absolute pleasure. I am I'm buzzing. <laughs> You're buzzing. That's good to hear. Uh, you busy man at the moment, I'm imagining? Yeah, I am. I've um, got some stuff on. I'm still at Ree, yep. which is the cocktail bar in South Everly, uh, owned by Matt, Matt Wiley. I'm doing some consultancy stuff as well off the back of, off the back of world class, um, which is cool. There's lots of, lots of creative, creative work going on. Uh, and Ruby as well. Ruby's really taking off at the moment. We're about a month shy of being in Dan Murphy's. So getting bigger, getting bigger. Does that happen? So you go into Dan Murphy's, they go, wow, there really is a place for a rhubarb based Mistel. And then they go make their own. <laughs> they basically, yeah, they say, wow, I can't believe we, we never thought of this. What an amazing product. We're going to exactly. stock it in every store in Australia right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the front page of the website too. Um, yeah. So for people who haven't been to Re in Sydney, can you tell us a bit about the bar and then what your role is there at the moment? Absolutely. So South Everly is a little kind of offshoot uh, from Redfern and it's a bit of a precinct. So there's, there's a bunch of different food and restaurant, food and bev uh, businesses down there, one of which is Re, which is a, a cocktail bar, a local kind of neighbourhood bar owned by Matt Wiley, who mm-hmm. used to own Scout in Sydney and in London, and it's like a global global genius when it comes to all things cocktails. But the, I guess the kind of call card is that we try and operate as sustainably and as close to zero waste as possible. So... Mm. What that looks like is um, all the the fit out of the venue is all kind of made from reclaimed and recycled materials. Everything from the the milk bottles that that make up the bar top through to the the pineapple leaf that makes up the banquette seating. Everything kind of has a bit of a story behind it. Yeah. Um, and then that extends to so the food and and cocktails as well. We are running a program called Never Wasted, whereby we develop a kind of line of communication with different well-known businesses in Sydney, determine what waste products they have, and then we utilize those as hero ingredients in our cocktail menu. Mm. And it's not, it's not like stuff that's gone into the bin. It's stuff that would often otherwise not be used. Is that the yeah, distinction? So what's a good example? A good example is our Messina cocktail. Uh, Messina obviously has a, quite a big production facility. They've got big industrial commercial chocolate tempering machines yeah. for all their gelato, gelato and stuff but you know bits and pieces get caught in the corner and they have to clean that out and it's for for whatever reason it's unusable right. to them but to us it's you know it's bulk dark chocolate that we, we can then transform into a, a gin strawberry dark chocolate highball you know sure um, yeah yeah it's not all like it's not all banana peels and and spent coffee 
<laughs> it's it's not stuff that's rotting away. No, uh, no, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, and just to give people a little bit of a background on you, uh, uh, before Re, you were running the show down at Bulletin Place. Is that, is that that's the first one? Yeah, prior to Re, right? Yeah, general manager at Bulletin Place. Um, rest in peace, yeah. best bar ever. Uh, yeah, I was there for two years. I was there for two years, and then before that, I was with Swillhouse for four. So, yeah, worked across. Shady Pines was the first kind of break, um, and then I spent a little bit of time at Baxter and, and Frankie's and Hubert yeah. as well. And then before that, of course, I was at the Elephant Castle Hotel. Yeah, world renowned in yeah. uh, in my in my hometown of Bathurst. <laughs> <laughs> Long may it rain as the number one yeah. bar in the world, right? Yeah. Still still there, still there. So uh, you also uh, last year won the national final for Diageo's world-class cocktail comp. And yeah. that's happening again this year. It's coming to Sydney in September, the global final. I think they've just announced the top 100 people for that. Yeah, they certainly have. Yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask you about how cocktail comps in general, because you've done a few over the years, how – they sort of help people on their careers. Are they still worthwhile doing these days and that sort of thing? But first, can you tell me what did winning world class last year, what did that change for you? It changed everything. I, look, there's all, I think there's always been a bit of a debate within the industry whether entering these comps are necessary to progress your career. And I don't, I don't think they are. Like you look around, you see plenty of incredible bartenders who – have built a reputation and a standing off the back of just being fantastic. Um, yeah. But then, of course, you know, if you do well enough in, in big global competitions, then it opens doors that would otherwise pro- probably remain closed to you. You get a lot of kind of media attention and, and brand opportunities and all, and all that kind of thing. But, mm. you know, ultimately it's, it's not really the reason why – I entered into competitions. I've always kind of had a bit of a creative leaning and, and entering these comps are a way of accessing channels of creativity that might not necessarily present themselves in venue. You know, we, mm. we are in bars, the same bars usually three, four, five days a week. And that, that can become pretty monotonous. And, and as a creative, you're always looking for, you know, ways to spread your wings. So I spoke to Jimmy Irvine for last week's podcast and he was saying a similar thing. Like it was just something yeah, that took you out of the everyday. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, different strokes for different folks. I'm, I think by nature, fairly competitive. I don't know if it's part of my upbringing and, and you know, playing sport and, and whatnot, sure. but I'm always, you know, and, you know, not competitive against other people, but, you know, I'm always looking to challenge myself and, and, you know, do the best that I can. And I've always found that competitions are really kind of, valuable way of doing that yeah you've committed a few different competitions can you tell me what makes world-class a bit different to the other ones you've done yeah i I think world-class has a bit i mean world-class is quite it's quite overreaching like a lot of people assume that it's about creating the next you know mind-blowing esoteric technique yeah (laughs) levitating cocktails and you know all there is there is a you don't want to call it a gimmick, but there is a, an element of showmanship sure. that the world class is, is definitely all about. But then you're also doing speed comps and, you know, producing drinks quickly under pressure is, is one of the pillars of being a good bartender or whatnot. But, um, mm. you know, compared to something like Bacardi Legacy, which the, 
the pillar of legacy is kind of recreate or creating a new classic world class is probably at the other end of the spectrum. It's creating signature cocktails that attach themselves to a particular challenge or a philosophy or concept. Yeah. So assuming someone does want to go down the route of, uh, getting into that cocktail competition sort of scene. I'm assuming they're coming back now after COVID and everything. Uh, cool. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think the spirits companies are going to, you know, do away with them altogether, are they? Uh, no. <laughs> there's, there's free IP that they create. Exactly um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what tips would you have for some bartenders wanting to get involved and preparing for these sorts of things? Uh, what kind of mindset should they sort of take going into them? When I, uh, when I first started entering and it sounds a bit glib because it's advice everyone gets, but, you know, really immersing yourself in, you know, trainings and and resources and books and YouTube videos and podcasts and everything, really immersing yourself in that space and drawing as many kind of sources of inspiration as possible. Um, Mm. I always kind of look, there's five, I guess, five sources of inspiration when I'm creating drinks as seasonality. So you look, you look to the seasons, um, there's sensory experiences. So whether that's, you know, going out to a restaurant and you have a particular dessert and the flavor pairing is amazing, or yeah. you read the back of a perfume bottle or you read the back of a conditioner bottle or something and you see different ingredients like that. Those are your tactile experiences. And then. Have you ever got a drink out of the back of a, sh- a shampoo bottle? Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> a perfume, a perfume bottle though. Um, sure. I think, yeah, I I think the, the if you're if you're entering, I think the biggest piece of advice I, I, I was given was by Tim, um, and that was that world class and and most competitions are a game of points. So you yeah. are essentially you're given a marking criteria, and everyone's given a marking marking criteria. So you're instantly on a level playing field. Yeah. If you begin to ask yourself where judges can take points away, then you're instantly kind of on the on the front foot. A lot of people, you know, as I said, get carried away with the show and the the technique and, you know, all these yeah. things. But, it, you know, it is, a, it is a game of accruing points. So that's the piece of advice I'd give. Also, sure. find your niche. Find your niche. Find the thing that really makes you tick. For me, it's the seasonality of Australia, the kind of cultural, Indigenous cultural tapestry of Australia. It's really kind of espousing everything that we're about as Australian bartenders Mm. and you know that'll be different for someone else but you need to find that that niche or that vein uh and then and then be earnest about it I mean you've judged you've judged a million cocktail competitions and I I I find the best presentations are always the ones that are really kind of earnest and honest and, and genuine like we we're hospitality professionals and we can kind of spot insincerity yeah. a mile off you know you can you can, <laughs> yeah. you can really see you can really see when someone cares about a concept so you know do comply by the marking criteria find something you're passionate about and present it in a way that's genuine cool i will just bring you back to you did mention sort of five sources of creativity that you come to when you and then i interrupted you with a, a bad yeah. joke you, you got um, up to you did two what's the third or fourth and fifth ones yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you changed the subject. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, All right. Exactly, exactly. No, this. I mean, this you don't have to give away the secret sauce. That's fine. <laughs> That's it. There's, there's replication, 
um, I mean, those are my the tactile and the seasonality are where I get most of my inspiration from. But there's also right. like replication. You see something in a book, you see something on Instagram. Um, you know, you see the clumsies in Athens come up with a really sick garnish, and you look to replicate that. Well, is, it, is there anything wrong with sort of outright stealing? No, no, not at all. Not not stealing. You know, it's not stealing. And, you know, there are no original <laughs> ideas anymore, as yeah. they say. But um, we were very fortunate as bartenders now to have Instagram and have that kind of instantaneous access to ideas at the very tip of our fingers. You know, like 30 years ago, you'd have to buy a book. You'd have to tr- wait for it to arrive. You'd have to trawl through it. And now, now all that stuff's accessible straight away. So, yeah. For good or bad, I think I think there's some downsides as well. But yeah, can you describe the feeling of competing in front of an audience of people, most often your peers? Yeah, and like, are you someone who kind of enjoys that kind of a rush, or are you calm up there? Are you easy going up there? No, I'm shitting myself up there. It's so <laughs> scary. Yeah, so, so I do enjoy it. I enjoy the the um, adrenaline and the rush and. You know, you, you spend weeks and weeks, you know, worried and nervous and anxious about it. And then it's over yeah. in what feels like two minutes when you get up there. But um, it's not something I'm naturally drawn to. Uh, but I do, I do enjoy it when I'm, when I'm there in the moment. Yeah. You know? It's like when I used to present the, the bartender of the year comp at the Bar Awards, I'm not naturally <laughs> the person who would be on stage in front of 600 people. <laughs> yeah. But once you're in the thing, you're like, oh, this is kind of fun. And yeah, absolutely. You you know the the flow begins, and yeah. you you get, you take a lot from the judges as well. The judges are usually yeah. you know quite quite affable and happy and smiling to be be <laughs> there. And um, yeah, it's you know it's not not something that comes naturally to me. But yeah, in the moment, I enjoy it for sure. Especially something like the speed round, which is usually a part of the world class finals. Yeah, you are so concerned about getting up on stage in front of however many people it is, and then when you get up there. You don't. You completely forget that they're there because you just try to work as quickly as possible and head down. It's like being in the weeds on a Friday night at Shady Pines. <laughs> you just got to get the drink out the door. Yeah, just get it done. Yeah, get, get the thing done. Uh, I did want to talk to you about uh, Ruby as well. So Ruby is your Michelle that you've uh, you've come up with with Tim Phillips Johansson. Yeah, who is so the old, Ruby. old owner of Bullet in Place, also an ex uh, world class. Bartender of the year, he won the global. Comp. He won the global, yeah. He Back in the before times, perpetually remind everyone of the fact that he won globals. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Yeah, he will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we Ruby Ruby came off the back of the bulletin place concept of creating a menu every day. So mm. for those who aren't aware and are listening, bulletin place would come up with five different drinks uh, for a new original menu six days a week. Yeah, sounds exhausting. Uh, yeah, yeah, intense. But we, it was, it was at the time. It was, I think, myself, Paul Hammond, Alex Gons. That was the kind of crew that was knocking about. But it was around the time that fermentation really started, you know, sh- taking off behind the bar, and we were trying to figure out ways to slot short-term fermentations into a menu that changes all the time, and right. the concept of. Mi- Concept of a mistel kind of popped up. Uh, essentially, it's a, sh- a fruit juice or a lightly fermented fruit juice that's then fortified with the, a spirit of the same fruit. Mm. So you can you can use uh, 
cognac and cognac grapes, or you could use Calvados and apples. Um, yeah. And That's rhubarb right. was in seed. It's like Pomona de Normandy or something. My French is yeah. Tired, I was, but, yeah, I was I was trying to sidestep the French. When I was <laughs> You're a smarter man than I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So rhubarb. I mean, rhubarb was in season. It was something we used quite a bit. So yeah, we um we we came up with this rhubarb mistel, which is just lightly fermented rhubarb juice fortified with uh, a rhubarb spirit. Bring it all together, and you know. Adjust adjust the sweet and sour a little bit, and mm. yeah, and that was that was essentially the initial recipe for Ruby, and that was for use in the bar. Yeah, yeah, for use in the bar. People used to come in on their breaks, and we'd give them like you know how we used to do those little palate refreshes. Yeah, we used to just give them a little kind of sample of of it wasn't Ruby at the time, but this rhubarb mistel that we were we were making back of house, um, yeah. and. Yeah, and Tim just really gravitated to it. He really, really liked it. And in all honesty, he was kind of the driving force behind developing a brand around it. Um, sure. So that kind of took off and, and we finessed the recipe, added some gentian and juniper and, and citrus peel and whatnot and came up with a really nice bottle. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and kind of went to market with Ruby being this this – Bulletin place created and inspired low ABV aperitif, yeah. uh, you know, product, which, yeah, we're really, really proud of it. And it's grown and grown to the point where it's now distributed by Vanguard. Yeah, which is that's um, a pretty good company to be in, right? They're the, they're the best. They're they're so, it's, mate, it's so good. Um, James France, what a legend. All of them legendary. Yeah. But but yeah, now distributed by them, and we're kind of on the doorstep of, of Dan Murphy's, which is that's, exciting. That's crazy. That's great. But it's really interesting to me that something that you had just in the bar does have some legs outside the bar to a, a wider audience. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's. I guess it's, it's a case of simplicity, right? It's not trying to be anything groundbreaking. It is. It is a kind of. It is a new market in that it is a mistel, and people kind of gravitate towards that and ask questions about it and wonder what a mistel is but it's also eye-catching and striking and it's got a great color to it right super yeah it's bright red it pops off the back bar um (laughs) and it's yeah and the bottle the bottles you know it's a custom-made bottle the 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 kind of lattice pattern is inspired by uh monet's house in normandy which is the traditional home of mistel so there's all these kind of they're, they're hooks, you know. They're hooks yeah. that we can t- we can tell a story off the back of. Um, yeah, but yeah, humble beginnings. So, how did you guys go about operationalizing this and making it into a product that you can put in a bottle commercially? Finding did someone's you, yeah, so with we, the we, distiller. Yeah, yeah, we partnered. We partnered with um, uh, a couple of, of good mates of ours from Poem PR Group and Forward Scout, who also operate um distillery botanica gin or garden grown gin it's now called uh so they they've they had they had experience in kind of developing a brand sourcing bottles etc um but yeah i mean the biggest challenge was trying to find someone to make it because you've you've obviously been to bulletin many times but trying to make x thousand bottles in the attic upstairs was never going to happen no no that that was that was the toughest bit and because it is a fermented and they're just still product trying to find someone who would do both stages was really sure. difficult. Most wineries will just ferment something for you. Most distilleries will just distill something for you. So trying to find a production house that can do both 
was yeah. hard and we we found someone in um in Victoria who ferment everything, distill everything for us and then also bottle it and store it. So very good. So win win. Win win. How long did it co- go from the decision to go, oh, let's go see if we, this is a commercially viable product to it being delivered? I think I, I think I went into Bullet in a Place or uh, like a day or so after you guys got the first first delivery there. It was, it was just a, a big box pilot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, everywhere, yeah. Ruby everywhere. <laughs> oh, dude, the office, the office was ridiculous for ages. You just walk into this sea of Ruby. <laughs> how, long, how long did that process take? the better part of a year the yeah, better right. part of a year you so go not through that like, long really no you know brand yeah. brands spend spend years and years and years but you know that's the that's the kind of operator tim and and particularly dave hobbs who does a lot of the, the kind of back house for us they when when the idea is on it's on right and um and they kind of really pushed it through but you know there's so many different permutations of bottle design that you go through and and you know, getting the design back and some of the letters are kind of offset. So it's all, yeah. it's all done by hand. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of trial and error to, to get there. But I think we, it was 2020, God, I'm losing my memory. 2021, I think we, no, 2020, 2020, we first kind of launched, end of 2020. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it seems to be going pretty good. Every bar I go into seems to have a, a either a Ruby drink on there or it's definitely on the back bar. So. Love it's to hear nice it. to see, right? Um, you got to consider rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> it's what the punters want. Uh, exactly. What do you think? If you look at you, I mean, you're still a you're still a young guy. Uh, how old are you? Sure. Now? Are you, are you, are you, have you hit the thirty mark yet? I'm twenty nine. Yeah. Oh, you're definitely yeah. still a young guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll what are, What are the character traits you think that have that you possess that have kind of uh, aided you through those years from Shady Pines through Bullet in Place to Re and beyond now. What is it about you that kind of put you down this career path? Mm, just above average, humble. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why you think you're uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think, um, and this this is something that kind of emanates through has emanated through all my life is that I am constantly kind of chasing the next thing. So when I was at school, I was really wanting to get out and get to the big city and get to Sydney. And then I started a journalism degree and I was really into it. And then I wasn't, and then I was looking for the next thing. And then Shady Pines, I was started as a bar back and fell in love with it and wanted to be promoted as quickly as possible. So I guess that constant desire for progression, um, is something that that has really kind of propelled my career in many ways. Um, mm. Doing your time as well, and understanding that understanding that that pro, that progression isn't going to happen overnight, and taking the necessary steps to, you know, listen listen to the people around you and find mentors that you you're constantly drawing inspiration from. Like I I owe a lot of my career to the people that I've worked with. Yeah. Tim, you know, now my business partner at one point my my boss has been a massive, massive, massive impact on, on me. And, you know, the, even Jimmy Irvine working with him at Shady Pines and, and yeah. big grease and, you know, re- drawing, drawing different aspects. <laughs> Alan Nikoloski, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drawing different aspects of all the people around you and, and that you work with, you know, 
taking the taking the best lessons from those people and kind of applying them to your trade is something that I think I've attempted to do or I think I've done quite well. Um, yeah, it looks like it's working for you. Yeah, and <laughs> just, um, you know, find your niche. I think you said it in one of your podcasts. It's like there's people who who work best in the operations side of the business and there's people who work best as creatives and, you know, it is mm-hmm. it is about just – finding that niche and then nurturing it and chasing it. Yeah. Do you, how do you stay interested? Do you have a problem staying interested? I, I, I don't belong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think that's why I'm like, I try and do too much all the time. Right. Um, I, it is, it is a genuine love of the industry. There, the industry is so wide reaching that there are so many different aspects that you can engage with. Mm. I'm not, as interested in bourbon as I was when I was working at Shady Pines. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as interested in, in, you know, classic cocktails as I was when I was at Bulletin and, and yeah. whatnot. So I think each kind of stage of progression or different role you find yourself in, there's always different points of interest that you can attach to. So. And it sounds like you're adding strings to your bow as you're going along and then you're just deepening that knowledge and deepening that experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Each job is going to be different in some way, you know, Shady Pines and Toolhouse was all about customer experience and the playfulness and, and the, the joy of, of service. And then yeah. Bullets in Place was very, very much about creativity, but doing it in a way that was really kind of accessible and every day and, and raise, you know, raise this kind of extension of creativity that's then applied to a concept that is really really important so Mm. each each job has different points of interest yeah uh you talked about the consultancy thing and that uh those opportunities coming more so from after winning world class what what do you mean by consultancy what are you what are you doing so my company poor decisions p-o-u-r decisions it's a great name by the Uh, way i think i told you that (laughs) thank you uh (laughs) Essentially, I, I do I do lots of different things. So the most common example is restaurant menus or, or bar menus. If people, yeah. particularly particularly now in the kind of staff uh, environment that we're in, it's really, really hard to find qualified uh, or experienced bartenders. It just is. That's, that's the world we live in at the moment. So mm. Also, there's I two years I, there where, where no one could get into a bar. So there's two years of sure. experience just out the window right <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly so if i can if i can kind of step in and provide the option to train staff or come up with a cocktail menu um then that's you know that's a way off a lot of business owners backs at the moment yeah. um and you know having a bit of a resume and having you know, the ability to kind of leverage world class champion is something that businesses can then attach to their their yeah. their socials or whatnot and their their image but um but yeah menus trainings events i'll do a lot of creative stuff for brands as well so um i do I currently do all the creative stuff for regal rogue the move yeah. um and empirical spirits is just about to kick off cool but yeah it's it's quite it's quite you know t- it's tailored to to what to what people want and i think that's the most important part of consultancy it's like you're not just creating drinks for you you're creating drinks for other people and their concepts yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's another access to those creative veins that I was talking about. Yeah. Do you, do you 
find that people are approaching you for this kind of work or are you going out there pitching your services? Uh, I, I know people have approached me. People have yeah. approached me. I, I kind of put up something on Facebook um, and had a lot of people reach out and I'm now at the point where I can't, I can't do anymore, which is really, really good. That's cool. Um, you know, which means there's a potential to kind of step towards that direction. Maybe one day, maybe not. I do enjoy it, but whether or not I want to kind of leave the the bartending side of things and move into a consultancy role, yeah. who knows? But, done, uh, but yeah, not good. done bartending just yet. I don't think so. I love it too much. I love the the um, the silk and grit. To borrow a term from one of my good friends, it's like the yeah. the, be- the beauty and glamour of bartending, but also the dark kind of dingy side. It's it's all very it's it's all very it's all very intoxicating both sides. Yeah, I think life is just fine, hopelessly romantic for some reason, right? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. There's nothing romantic about it, but you know, yeah. I can I can definitely see the beauty in it. Uh, okay, well, Emma Strove, thank you very much for joining me on Drinks at Work. It's been a pleasure to chat to you, mate. It's it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you to Evan Strove for joining me and thank you to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give it a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you happen to get yours. And if you've got some feedback that you'd like to share, my email is sam at I would love to hear from you. Until next week, this has been Drinks at Work by Boothbury.